Hey, what's up, friends? Mike Myers here with the Song Rank for Guitar podcast, episode number six, Aaron Sprinkle. Now, Aaron is a fantastic producer, songwriter, artist. He's like a jack of all trades, and he's worked with bands like Anne Berlin, Acceptance, One Republic, and we just kind of talk about his process, his journey of being a songwriter, moving to Nashville, and what it was like getting into that scene, and how he's kind of matured as a producer, his process, and we talk about that, his new record, everything in episode number six, so let's just dive into it, Aaron Sprinkle. When I was prepping for this and I was looking back, I was looking at your all music credits and everything. You have just done a shit ton. You have just <laughs> done so many records and you have written on so many records, produced so many records. Is is that something that you wanted to do early on or did it kind of morph over time? Um, I guess that depends on how you define early on. Um, I... I definitely saw myself when I was younger, I saw myself as a artist or a performer or, you know, a rock star first. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned to record and produce music and even write music as a means to that end. Um, and then pretty quickly though, like before I was 20, it, it was apparent that the only Thing I was doing musically that was actually generating any income was producing <laughs> other people's music. So, um, and I also, I didn't ever really feel comfortable performing the same way that I felt comfortable in the studio. So I, I sort of, you know, changed my trajectory and ended up, you know, putting in my 10,000 hours in the studio rather than on a stage. Um, yeah. Did you find that someone, you know, as they were kind of watching your bubble kind of go to you almost like, you're really good at this. Like this thing right here, you, you need to be doing this more. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't remember f specifically having those kind of interactions, but it was just a really um, wide path for lack of a better word. Like, when I was young, I was doing demos with bands that were, you know, local to me in Seattle. And a lot of them ended up getting signed. One of them even got signed. Um, you know, MXPX was one of the bands that I kind of found when I was young and got, yeah. I, got I got them signed to Tooth and Nail. And um, so, and then I ended up producing their album you know, when they got signed and, and, and some of that kind of stuff was happening and, and it just sort of, it just sort of happened. It just sort of snowballed and kept going and I just kind of went with it because it felt natural and good and fulfilling and all that stuff. I was going to say, yeah, was it something when you started producing that feeling of like, I really enjoy this? Like, this is the thing that the, the sonic landscape, working with bands, seeing what they're doing and just being part of that process was, I, this is what I'm meant to do. And I, I love every second of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was, it's really hard to explain for me, but it was a thing where helping, helping people realize, you know, their vision and coming alongside them and then actually 
having something to show for it that was then mass produced and you know taken out into the world and could give that maybe you know be give somebody that emotional response that is what drew me to making you know recorded songs in the first place um feeling like a part of something bigger than yourself you know what i mean um yeah it's very um it's addicting it's like um it's something that i've been chasing for a long time <laughs> i still do every day pretty much i no you see i like that cuz you said chasing cuz it feels like chasing is it's never that you fully get there but it's just like you're constantly going after it like you yeah. never reach that point do you feel like was there was there ever a point where you felt like that was the mountaintop like you were like i'm there or does it feel like it's just this as Aaron grows and changes, the the path kind of winds a little bit and you just kind of follow it. Yeah, I guess when I was younger, I used to think that there was an apex, but um, I don't believe that that exists. I don't think there is a, a destination. Um, and that's, you know, not just in music, but <laughs> it's um, it's about... It's. I mean, it's been such a such a roller coaster of a journey for me emotionally and logistically. Um, but you know, I used to have sort of an idea of what it would look like to have made it or whatever, and yeah. um, that had to change. You know, um, and it's funny because I don't I don't remember exactly when it changed, but. I remember there being a, a moment where I looked back and saw that I had done a bunch of the stuff that I thought would make me feel like I had made it. And I'd never felt that way. I never felt any closer to the top of anything. And that, that was like a, you know, definitely part of growth. It's a growth thing, but it, it's more about loving the journey, you know, for using a super cliche thing, like I've gotten into running in the last year and running is one of those things that has helped me change that mindset to where being in the process is the destination, not there isn't some goal. Um, I mean, finishing is a goal when it comes to running, but you know, finishing without being injured or whatever is kind of my goal <laughs> in, in running. I ran a, an ultra marathon earlier this year and, you know, it was just once I was done, I was like, okay, when do, when can I run again? It wasn't like I did it now. I don't have to do that again. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was like a really broken conditioning that I was kind of somehow was planted in my head that there was some goal you got to and then you don't have to do anything anymore. But the reason I make songs and do music is because I can't not. So getting the destination kind of mindset out of my head is, is a huge thing. And then also scaling expectations is a huge part of this for me too. Like my expectations were so high for myself before and, and so like almost like lottery mindset Mm -hmm. that I that I was just setting myself up to be disappointed in myself. It's the only thing I was doing. So when you can find fulfillment in the little things, um, it for me anyway, it's allowed me to 
to keep going for all these years, you know, 27 years or whatever that I've been doing this. I feel what what you're saying too, I I hear a lot where people have these expectations. They think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to go to Nashville. I'm going to get signed. I'm going to get a publishing deal. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get that song cut. It's going to be huge. We're going to do this record. It's going to be great. And then even if they get there or if they're doing that thing, it's almost like they kind of feel a little hollow. Like yeah. the, it's just like there's nothing there. It's almost like they're a cardboard cutout. You could just mm-hmm. like that, that dream or that vision, they kind of flick it. And it's like, oh, there's nothing. Or sometimes they get to the top and or um, whatever top may look to them and it doesn't it's there's nothing they don't feel anything yeah i used <laughs> to really struggle with this on both sides i remember i was in i was in therapy once and i was ex- trying to explain this to my therapist and he's like do you think he was like pick someone that you see as someone that has made it you know in your mind like someone that you would you want to be where they are and he said, do you really think they feel any differently than you do right now about anything? And that thought experiment was really powerful to me. I was like, I guess not, probably. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, but I, you know, when I moved out to Tennessee eight years ago, it was, there was such a huge shift happening in the music industry and you know, my sort of like business model and revenue stream had completely basically stopped almost. (laughs) And, um, I had so many cuts on records over the years that I decided to, you know, come out here and focus on that. Um, and you know, and about 8,000 other people did that same year. And, um, it was really difficult. It was really hard emotionally because I had these really unreasonable expectations for what was going to happen out here. And it didn't happen. I mean, it was really painful what I went through. It was amazing and I needed to go through it and I grew a massive amount because of it. Um, and I, I wouldn't change anything about it basically, but that's kind of the expectation management that I was talking about before is like, okay, let's, Let's stop looking at, at what we don't have and look at what we do have. How can we, you know, make this work, what we yeah. have, make this work. And the fact is, man, is like <laughs> people say to me all the time, like, man, you've, you're a legend. You know, seriously, like it's, this sounds so weird for me to have, say this, but you've done all these records and all this stuff. And it must be so crazy to have done all that. And I don't live in that space. I don't sit around thinking about what a legend I am. You know what I mean? I don't sit around <laughs> thinking about all the stuff I've done. I'm just yeah. like, what's next? Do um, you, do so, you feel yeah. that's because you're in a spot now? Or I feel like when you get into a point where you can not think about things that you've done. And, you know, it was interesting. I was talking to... Um, Mike Maines, we were talking about this, like being in the now. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that spot of how you feel as Aaron now that you you like how Aaron is? You know, if we we're talking the third person, just like yeah. how you are right now, that that is helping you live into that process of delving in creativity and songwriting and being excited and just like focused on what's the next thing and not like. I, you know, I did all these records and I then probably the some of those records, the budgets were probably crazy. And yeah. now the the spot where you are, you're like, but where I am now, 
this is me. This is, and I like it. Yeah, I mean, the the like it part has taken me a long time to get to where I can even start to <laughs> consider that. But um, I've always sort of been in the now um, to probably a fault. Um, you know, I used to, when I had the studio in Seattle with Brandon Ebel, he and I basically had a studio together. I mean, he owned it, but he basically built it for me to make records in for Tooth and & Nail. And... Um, I would just work, you know, 16 hours a day, seven days a week and with, you know, just band after band rolling through. And I wasn't really thinking much about what had just happened or what was going to happen. I was just sort of like, what, you know, what can we do today kind Mm -hmm. of a thing. But I got really burnt out on that. And then I sort of had one of those reevaluating everything moments that took about four years (laughs) and, um, I'm just starting to get to where I even am comfortable with the concept of liking who I am. Um, So much of why I had trouble with stuff was because I felt so um, not good enough. Like even with millions of records that I produced sold and all this stuff, I, I wasn't, that didn't help me feel better about myself. I always felt like, I was not quite living up to what I should be or what people thought would be cool or good or enough or whatever, you know, that I guess people call it imposter syndrome now, but it, it's really common. I honestly have never really met an artist that I liked that didn't struggle with this. Um, but yeah, just slowing down and being being grateful kind of i mean honestly if you do if you want to look at it from a numbers game i did peak already you know the 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 mid 2000s or you know whatever was the peak you know that was when the records that i was doing were selling a lot and you know i was doing cool stuff and that that is gone and that will never happen again and i'm grateful for that because it allowed me to really look at like okay why you know, the why is the most important, not the what, the who, and the where, but the why. And um, so that, yeah, I'm grateful for that. You know, if you look at the records that you've done and the things that you've done prior to that, where you said kind of like that reevaluation process, mm-hmm. do you feel there was restriction, especially working in, you know, a predominantly like Christian demographic? Do you fear, feel that there was just like some some areas where it was like, oh, this is as far as you can go. You have to work in these parameters. Yeah, I mean, definitely. That has definitely affected things that I did in the past. Um, I was always kind of pushing against that. And, you know, I hate to say that I was like the rebel, but I was. And I didn't, I didn't really care about that. Other than I didn't want to like, you know, sabotage anybody's career yeah. if they were trying to make it work there. But I, I always kind of thought that stuff was stupid. So, but it did affect it. And, and in hindsight, now that, you know, my circumstances have changed and even my faith has completely changed, I have more um awareness of how much it did 
affect and restrict. And even like the conflict of feeling like I kind of had to play a game, but I didn't believe in the game. Yeah. Probably affected it more than anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, but I try to not look at stuff like that as a negative, but just part of my story and who made it makes me who I am and makes me potentially more helpful to other people. With your workflow now to, you know, you're saying back in the day, working 16 hours and just like mm-hmm. constantly going and going and going, there's a point where there's a, there's a, there's a burnout where eventually you realize that the well that you have, there's nothing to pull from because it's dry. Yeah. You're so, how is like your workflow now that you're, because I feel like once, even if you have a couple burnouts, sometimes I was still in the habit of just working all the time, probably not to the extent that you are, but to the, the extent where it was just like, ugh, like I'm, I feel like there are days where you're just like, I can't do anything. Yeah. How is your workflow now? And how are you cognizant of, okay, these are the limitations and things I need to set to keep myself the workflow good, but also my health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, that's a great question and a great topic. I think I I've been through a bunch of burnouts and a bunch of growth and evolution of the concept of what you're talking about. But basically, I believe for me that, and I'm starting. I'm just starting to become really aware of the spaces that I kind of, you know, reside in and there is a space that I reside in where there is no point in me trying to do anything productive, creative, creatively. Um, if, if I'm feeling a certain, it's hard to describe, but I know if I'm, if I'm feeling a certain way that there's just no point, it's not like we just got to push through. So I literally just walk away in those moments. And this even years ago, towards the end of my Seattle career, I would tell bands at the beginning, I had a little bit of awareness about this, and at the beginning of an album, I would a record, I would say, hey guys, I have kind of like ADD stuff, kind of. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but there, if I'm like all of a sudden on YouTube and we're watching videos, that's just part of my process. You're just going to have to go with that. Because I've found that spinning my wheels actually in the end makes things take longer and makes things worse and makes me have to redo a bunch of shit and I don't want to do that. So now I really, I'm very fortunate. My studio's in my home. You know, I work primarily as a composer now, full time for Soundstripe. And um, I've got some other stuff that I'm working on as well, but I get to sort of just wait until I'm really feeling inspired. And the other thing about me is my ADD stuff allows me to hyper-focus. So when I am inspired, I can do a really large amount of work in a really short period of time. So I kind of just try to harness that. And then if I'm not feeling it, I'm, you know, hanging out with my kid or running or making food or folding laundry or doing whatever, (laughs) you know, I can do with this lockdown business that's happening right now. So... Um, it's really just being aware of those moments. Like for me, you know, for some people it might be pushing through and that might work for you, but that doesn't work for me. I've found, um, and then I've also found over the years that, which is so weird cause I used to be the opposite of a morning person, but I get 
by far the most done in the early hours of the day. Like, right? It, almost I'm, by about I'm, noon, I'm about done. I'm um, a believer of that right now yeah. because I used to think like, oh, the late hours. But I realized that's where it was like the worst. Like I would Absolutely. wake up in the morning and just be like, that is awful. I have to retract all of that. That was to, it is just like, oh, it's almost like, you know, sleepy drunk me mm-hmm. recorded all of this. And then suddenly it's like coherent, like able to stay with a metronome me in the morning mm-hmm. was like, that's way better. Yeah. Do you, do you think maybe that's like we I, I feel like more and more I hear this of people like I wasn't a morning person, but now I am. It's almost like the rhythm of flow of the day, like the sun comes up and our bodies kind of like, hey, now's the time. And suddenly these wee hours of the evening are just like it's like go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, a lot of there's a lot of different things going on with it is, you know, I'm older and I'm, you know, I'm sober. I'm a sober alcoholic. So, you know, not um, drinking. I, you know, I don't smoke anymore. I don't vape anymore, which is how I stopped smoking. But I vaped for years. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm, I'm more aware of sort of taking care of myself physically. And um, I'm just more clear headed in the morning than I used to be. I'm not like trying to recover from all the shit I did to my body the day before, you know? (laughs) So there's that, but then there's also this thing that I read, I forget there's, I've read about it in multiple places. Um, very briefly, I'm not by no means an expert, but there's sort of this like time before your brain is fully awake Uh that you can make way cooler creative decisions really early in the morning. And also there's also this concept that you, you basically only, you have a quota of critical decisions you can make in a day and you, you kind of use them up quickly. And then there's just also the fact that my ears just get tired too. You know, um, I don't, I can't really hear stuff the same way after a certain hour of the day either. You know, I can't make any critical decisions on a lot of levels. I don't really know why all, any of it, you know, these are all just theories, but it seems to be working better for me um, in general. You know, there's still times where I stay up till four working on something because I'm feeling so inspired, but that used to be the norm and now it's definitely the exception. It it just, it, at least to me, just listening you tell the story, it just feels like you're just more in tune with yourself and when you're more in tune you make those changes because you're not just listening to where people say, oh, you got to push through it, man. Yeah, you just got to push exactly. through it. You'll get the better product. And it's like, okay. And for people listening, it's probably like there's some out there that have been told, oh, you got to push through it. You got to do this. And they're doing this. And they're like, I don't feel any better. And it's mm-hmm. not getting better. That hearing your story of like, hey, you know, listening to yourself and what your body's saying, looking at things that are helpful and not helpful, eliminating yeah. them. And, and just kind of living into yourself actually allows you to sometimes work and create the best things. Yeah, and so much of it for me is just taking fear out of the equation too because so much of, the, of that desire to push through or, you know, do this or got to make this work is fear-based. You know, I'm afraid that it's, I'm not going to write anything that cool again. So I got to make it work. You know, and I've found for me, you know, I've been writing so much since I've been doing this 
job for the last couple years and I'm writing, you know, I'm, I'm writing a new solo record right now and recording it. And you know what I'll, I write vocals are the, the thing that I write first on a song always like, or kind of in conjunction with a, just a chord progression. And I have a tendency to write vocal melodies and phonetic, you know, patterns without real lyrics first. Yeah. And I have a really hard time fitting real lyrics into those sometimes. And, um, but I'll hold on to something for a year and I can't, f you know, I've got a couple songs that I like was trying to write lyrics to because I wouldn't let go of that melody. Cause I was like, that's the coolest melody I've ever written. I'm never going to write anything that cool ever again. I'd be an idiot to let go of it. But the second I throw it out the window, I can just write this awesome song. And it's really weird, man. Like I, I really, I've done it like three times in the last month where I've just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm not finishing the song. I might as well just throw out the melody and write something that means something to me. And it's way better. You know what I mean? It's yeah. crazy. And that's all fear. It's fear of like thing. It's making things too precious or taking stuff too seriously or making stuff too important. Um, and that's something, you know, I learned a lot about, coming into the songwriter community, the little bit that I have since I've moved here, there wasn't a community like that in Seattle. I never wrote songs. I wrote, um, outs I never wrote songs outside of the, of the context of making a record. I was never just writing, you know what I mean? It was like, we need to fix this song or we need another song or whatever for a record. But, you know, people being out here, a lot of people I met that I really respect as songwriters were like, don't, don't take everything so seriously. You can always write something else, you know, throw it away. If it's not working, toss it, you know, do something else. And it's really the opposite of the mindset I came from. You know, bands are so precious about every little thing that they touch and write and think of. And it's like, this is really important to me. And, you know, and I understand that as an artist, I completely get that, but there's gotta be a balance between the two things <laughs> or you're never going to finish anything, at least in my experience. Did you have some bands that like, you know, you had an idea, you knew it was good. You knew what needed to improve yet. It's almost like what you're saying with your creativity, once you let go and you opened your hands and you weren't mm -hmm. clenching so tightly to like, this is what it is to, well, maybe it's not. That that's when it's transformed. You were like, oh shit, this yeah. is what it needs to be. Where some yeah. bands are so, were they so, the fists so tight that they were just like, no, this is how it is. And you were like, well, you know what? How do you, how do you stay yeah. focused in that without checking out being like, fine, but okay. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, and, uh, and I'll say this. So there's been a, a, a lot of times where that's happened. And um, i I honestly can't really care about their song after that. And I know that sounds awful, but it's, it's, it takes a lot for me to care about it anymore. If I feel really strongly about something and then um, feel pushback, sometimes it's not a huge deal and I can let it go. And then other times I was wrong. There's been multiple times where I was like, this is how we need to do it. And they're like reluctant and they do it. And then, you know, we realized, nope, that was the wrong, you were wrong. It was, it was actually right before. Um, I had that happen a couple years ago with a band where I pushed them to basically redo a song and 
one of the guys was with me and we went and we worked on this whole other version of this song and, but they were like, but we're going to keep the, the original. And I was like, okay. And I felt so strongly about it. And in the end, it's not that the one I did was bad, but in the end, when I had some time away from it, you know, they, they used the original on the album and I was really pissed. And I was like, but then when I listened to the album, I was like, oh, damn it. They were a hundred percent right. hundred percent. I was totally pushing them in a direction that just didn't work for them. Not that it was bad in and of itself, but yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of making records and creating with people is the, all that stuff is just part of the coolness of this. Um, but I did have a problem a lot of times with artists who I didn't really even like their music that much in the first place. And then when I would try to do something and felt passionate about it and I would get pushed back, then I really didn't care anymore, (laughs) (laughs) which sounds terrible, but I'm just being honest. Um, but towards, towards the kind of back half of that kind of long run I had, what I would do is purposefully surround myself with people that weren't going to push back. And not because I was a, a snob, but because I basically would tell people up front when we were talking, I would be like, look, I'm the, I thrive in the environment where I can voice any idea and I can pick up the guitar and play the part and write the vocal melody or the lyric or anything like I'm in your band. And if you're not comfortable with that, I'm not the guy to make your record. Um, and so I would sort of vet projects like that, you know, and even at the beginning of a record, I would kind of have a little spiel that I would give them about like, you know, we're, we're here for the same reason. We're all trying to make an awesome record. I'm not trying to steal your thunder. I honestly don't even care about the credit. I just want it to be awesome. And I want to feel free to express where I feel like the song is taking me. And if I feel stifled in that way, you're not going to get my best work. And so, you know, that's kind of where it ended up. And I still kind of work that way with people. But it makes sense because then you're fully engaged and you're excited about the project. I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. think a band wants someone or an artist wants someone that's lukewarm about what they're doing. Totally. And feeling like they're just hitting the button and just being like, yeah, I was kind of into you and that was good. I was talking to a student of mine and she was, she was really into the idea of writing with as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. And she was like, ah, oh. and then she, she was like, you know what, but you know, a lot of, some of these ones are just not fun. I'm just not, you know, we're getting a song, but I just don't feel anything. Yeah. And I was just, don't do it then. <laughs> just like, yep. just don't, if he's weird, then don't write with it. You know, it's just yeah. like, it's one of those things. I feel like at first, once you realize like, if I'm going to produce the best thing possible, not only do I got to feel good, I got to just like love this thing. I need to be yeah. fully engaged with it and feel that uh, every ounce of my being is thrown into it so that when it goes out into the world, whatever it does, I can be like, yeah, that was, I'm proud of that thing right there. Absolutely. And such an important um, element of that type of a work arrangement and relationship is I work best and do my best work when I am in an environment where I can learn from the people I'm working with as well. Um, I, 
I am a culmination of all the people that I have worked with over the years, even people that were way younger than me who were doing their first record. I learn from every single person I work with. And when you can't both, when both parties don't have a mutual respect and a mutual kind of freedom to express their ideas, they can't learn from each other. Um, and that, I mean, that's like one of my favorite things about this is what I learn every time I work with someone else, you know. Um, I learned so, I can think of all the things. I can think of like s specific things that I learned from people, whether it be like tricks or just general attitudes about stuff and from recording to writing to production to everything, you know, and it's, it's awesome. It's beautiful. It, it's half the fun of working on a project with someone because you see them do something and you think like, I'm going to do that for like the next 20 songs that I write. Yeah. Because it's just like, you're just like, that's so cool. <laughs> it's just like, yep. it's just like, what more and more can you take from it? And now that you're doing, you know, you, you work with Soundstripe, which is kind of, you know, as you make that switch, it's music licensing and you start to get into that realm of how do you feel of like that, you know, and you've been composing different things. You did, a, you know, you've just done like a, you've done like a hip hop and then you've done rock. Like, how is that in that form of creation to be let loose and be like, cool, go make an instrument mental album of these feels it's really fun for me um i've always wanted an environment like this where i could just sort of like go with what i was really inspired by with and but there's parameters in fact when the job first started you know this is the team that i'm on is a small team of just like eight people that are full-time composers and um we it was almost too open when we first started i was like no i need some more parameters here i can't <laughs> just do you can't just like be do whatever you want because then i get to, you know that problem of like too many choices and then i don't know what to do um and that's just part of been part of the process of figuring out how how this team can best serve the um, the clients of the company, the subscribers. And, yeah. But being able to be like, man, I think, you know, a couple months ago, I was like, I think there isn't enough like of that legit lo-fi hip hop stuff, and I really like that stuff. So I'm gonna do a whole album of that. I did like twelve songs of it, and. It was so fun, and then I was burned on that, and I did something else. I did a rock thing, and I burn, was burned on that, and I did something else. And um, the it's it's like I was actually talking about this on Bad Christian a couple of days ago, but it's like um, I went from working for twenty something years on making other people's music, and now I just get to make my music. <laughs> and there's absolutely challenges in that as well but it's so fun and i feel like i'm basically like just growing exponentially in that way because of this um environment that i'm in especially when composing if you're a music junkie it allows you that ability to genre hop mm -hmm. and just totally like cool i want to do this album I'm I'm done with this. I'm good for a while. Yeah. I'm going to switch over here and you have that sort of flexibility and it and 
to me that and when you're kind of going in it's like this has got to have ebbs and flows into your compositions it needs to work for different scenes that it's also a challenge but it's an exciting challenge to think yeah. of like what could this be used for there's so many different uses it could be used yeah. for yep that's it's so fun i have i think 12 or 13 monikers on soundstripe now yeah so you know that's how many different <laughs> But things that, that I am doing there and it's fun and I'm pro I'll probably have a couple more happen before the end of this year. I wouldn't be surprised if I do a couple things that need their own genre, you know, own moniker. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean, that's, it's, that's how, you know, if you actually look back on even the records I produced, the, um, diversity of genres is pretty crazy. I mean, it's almost everything as far as popular music goes. And that's just who I am. I mean, even as a kid, I would be listening to The Cure and Otis Redding and The Beatles and Michael Jackson and, you know, all that stuff in one day, you know. And and that's just how I've always been. People always ask me what kind of music I like, and I say good. And, you know, and that's, you know, I started saying that when I was young because I didn't like to be pigeonholed into one, you know, genre. You always but, have a good, I feel like a pop sensibility, regardless of who you're working with. I always feel uh, like. Yeah, that's funny, because I actually, oh gosh, I talked to somebody else about this once, but I remember there was, <laughs> we were doing, I think it was when we were working on the first, or the second acceptance full length, you know, this was, you mm -hmm. know, what, four or five years ago, and or five, six years ago, I guess it is now. But um, there was some article that came out on BuzzFeed <laughs> that said why 2000, I think it was called why 2005, okay, the 11 records that prove why 2005 was the greatest year of emo, okay? And I think Christian showed it to me. And th I produced three of the albums on, the, on this list of 11. And, and I was like, I'm an emo producer? <laughs> what the heck? And the the but but what it, the funny thing was is it made it was I kind of had this chain realization is like people a lot of people see me as like this emo warp tour whatever producer and demon hunter fans see me as a metal producer and you know cutlass fans see me as a hard rock producer whatever you know but what people don't know is all of the artists that I worked with, the reason that they wanted to use work with me is so that I would bring a pop element into whatever they were doing already. Um, I mean, that's not the only reason, but that's, I think, kind of a huge reason why. is the, To me, all of, my, all of the songs that I love are pop to me. I yeah. mean, they're not, but... Um, you know, whether it be a Bell and Sebastian song or a Grateful Dead song, even there's pop elements that that attract me to it. Um, and so, bringing that quote unquote pop sensibility into, I know for a fact that's why Demon Hunter wanted to work with me. They they straight up told me that. And you know, whatever, you pick a band that, that was definitely part of it. So yeah, that is, <laughs> that is a good observation. And I think it's why I, I would get so confused when people would be like, dude, you're like the, the sickest post 
hardcore producer. I'll be like, what You're are like, you no, talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even listen to that kind of music. <laughs> Literally don't listen to it. Um, yeah. Most of the music that I'm known for making, I, I literally do not listen to recreationally at all, but, um, which is really funny. <laughs> do, you, do you feel too, especially as you've released solo stuff, that since your, your primary you know, source of income was not like solo things, that you had more freedom to be like, I'm going to change my sound. No one, yeah. you know, no one can tell me no, I'm going to do it because that's yeah. what I like. Yeah, there's, there's almost no skin in that game. <laughs> no, like <laughs> it, it uh, yeah, it's funny because my solo albums, you know, I've been doing, how many have I done? One, two, three or five proper solo records. There's a one that Tooth and Nail put out that's basically a compilation of the previous three. But, so I've got six-ish solo albums, not counting the two fair albums. And um, I don't think, I think that's basically it. But it's a hobby. It's There's never been any, like, anything riding on it as far as, you know, my, like, livelihood or well-being <laughs> so um there is like this immense freedom now the the problem is is i haven't given myself the time to really focus on it over the years you know i've put out five solo records in 21 years so that's a, not a good you know average <laughs> <laughs> albums per decade but um, right now I'm working on one that I'm super excited about. It'll be my first independently released album okay. ever, actually. Um, you know, I am, I basically was, I was basically continuously signed to a recording and publishing deal since 1993 until about a year and a half ago, two years ago. And, um, so I'm really excited to, you know, give this a shot. And um, I am completely changing up the style. Like my last two records were, you know, two records ago was moving more electronic. And then the last mm -hmm. one was, I think there was one song that had a guitar track on it. Um, but then this new album is like, there's none of that on it. It's all... It's kind of throwback, kind of almost 90s, early 2000s vibe for me, um, for what I, you know, at least what I have done in the past. Yeah. That's so good. Like, it's fun. Yeah. And I think that's it. It's fun. I think sometimes people are resisting that. They're mm -hmm. like, no, no, it can't, it can't be this. It's got, it's got to be like this. But it, when you embrace what you want to do and you live into it, that is, in the end, the things that you're going to, the, the output or the thing that you're going to create is going to be your best product. I don't Absolutely. It's especially 100%. with creation. It's just, it has to be because if not, then what's the point? Well, and I've never, I, I literally have never um, seen any good come of like chasing a hit or a certain type of song or a previous song. You know, I have, I have a song on Spotify from, my album Water and Guns, which is from 2013, I believe. It was my second to last Tooth and Nail release. That for some random reason has like 1.2 million streams on Spotify. And um, 
I, I have these weird moments where I'm like, I need to like chase that song. I need to do another song like that or something. And, but then I have to remind myself that every time I've ever done anything like that in my entire life, at best, I ended up embarrassed at best. <laughs> um, and it just is fruitless. Like what people, I remember like, this is going to sound so name droppy, but it's just true. Is this one of the f- first like long ish conversations I had with Ryan Tedder. He told me that he believes that authenticity is the number one thing that translates in a song period. Yeah. Like you, if it isn't coming from a place of authenticity, no matter how good it is or how crazy that hook is or whatever, people are going to give two shits about it. And that when I was able to apply that to my past and look at the things that I had done that in my sphere had connected with people, obviously it's a slightly different sphere than Ryan Tedder's, but um, (laughs) it was true. And so I just am holding on to that now. I'm just, that's my goal is for people. If I feel like I can believe what I'm hearing, then maybe someone else will. Would you say that I feel like that piece of advice and that that thought is great for an artist or a band that's going, I want to work with a producer. Do you feel like having someone that gels with you on that level, too, is critical to how the songs turn out? Absolutely critical. I mean, it. the caveat with this is some of my favorite records that other people have made, I've heard later were like the artist's least favorite record they ever made. So obviously that doesn't <laughs> go across the board. <laughs> but um, in my personal experience, yeah, it's important. And, you know, if, and, and on both sides, I've, I've worked with bands that I tried to make something they weren't and the results were disastrous. And, I, and that was me taking the authenticity of, of who they were out of the equation because I was trying to do something that a label would want or a radio, you know, radio would want or whatever. Um, and I, you know, that was, those were mistakes I needed to make. And I believe every producer has made those same mistakes before. But um, yeah, it, it it is the most liberating piece of advice you'll ever have, you know, is chasing you know chasing something that is not authentic is a terrible idea no matter what you think the outcome might be or what the goal might be it isn't probably going to happen and of course there's exceptions to the rule but i'd like to think that the most like cheesy or whatever hits ever had some huge level of authenticity when they were written they came from a real place you know i i kind of think that's probably true and i feel that aspect of songwriting you're saying a place of authenticity for people that are trying to live you know it may sound cliched but a a creative life or a life that feels Mm -hmm. fulfilling it has to have some authenticity yep because if it doesn't then it it does feel it feels very empty you could have the bright and shiny things and you could have this, you know, this whatever salary or if it's not real, 
and you don't feel like you are living into who you're supposed to be creatively, it feels empty. Yeah. And, you know, um, it's so crazy. There's this book I read last year. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of the subtle art of not giving a fuck, but there's a, I I love, I love that book. I have that. (laughs) The other, yeah. The other one, everything's fucked. The second one or whatever, the one after it is actually my favorite one. And I don't remember where, I don't remember which one this is what what I'm about to say, which book it's in, because I read them like right next to each other and I always get mixed up. But um, he talks about good and bad characteristics of a value. And one of them that really hit me was that a good value can be obtained immediately and a bad value cannot. And so if I want to look at whatever I define as success, right? If I can't have that by by just changing my perspective today, then it, then that's a terrible value. It's a terrible thing that I'm chasing after. Um, and that's the expectation scaling that is, is just, it's so beautiful. You can have serenity, peace, fulfillment, all those things by just scaling your, your expectations. Yeah. Um, because if you, I promise you, like, and, you know, my success as far as, like, whatever hits or dollars or whatever pales in comparison to other people that I even know. But I've had some, and it did nothing to make me a more fulfilled or, or to have – it did nothing for my well-being, literally zero. If anything, it just set me up to fail the next day. Because every time I felt like I made it to a certain place, I always still felt like I had to beat that. And I had to beat it like pretty quick. So the scaling your expectations is massive for me. And it's something I'm still not great at, but I'm trying. And I think it's across the board, even in relationships with other people. Um, expectation management is, is a huge way to immediately gain... <laughs> ground and success in any situation you're in. Oh, I, I feel everything that you've said in our conversation has been, I, I feel so helpful to someone who is trying to seek that authenticity and trying mm-hmm. to understand what that means. Because sometimes for people are like, what does it mean to be an authentic self or to live creatively and to yeah. produce that? Because sometimes it's they don't have the best representation of what that looks like or their representation is what they see on Instagram. And they're like, that doesn't look like me. Yep, <laughs> exactly. But uh, dude, this was so good. Um, projects you got coming up, things that you want to share, anything that you want to share at the end? Yeah. Um, so the, um, the new acceptance music that has been kind of rolling out the EP, um, that is currently out. It's, uh, it's, it's actually out on tooth and nail. I'm, you know, we worked on for three years or something. Um, and no one impl- implicitly told me not to say this, but there's more than the EP coming. So oh, let's awesome. just be cryptic and say that. <laughs> um, it's, I'm so excited about it. I mean, it's just awesome. And then I'm really excited about my new solo album, which I will be, um, you can actually hear a teeny snippet of one of the songs on the the most current 
episode of Bad Christian um, where we talk about the that the CEO guy's Spotify remarks about Ugh. we we <laughs> kind of talked about that and kind of what that whole thing looks like. But I am I'm going to be announcing probably this month how I'm going to be sort of. I'm going to be doing some sort of pre-order type crowdfund thing for that. Um, I'm kind of on the fence as to whether or not I'm going to do like an actual crowdfund or whether I'm going to just do a band camp pre-order only. Um, I kind of want I'm leaning that direction Mm -hmm. to make it just really minimal and simple and like super straightforward. Like if you want to help me get this made, go pre-order it and tell all your friends and just see what kind of like grassroots just word of mouth marketing could do. Um, but I'm very excited about it. If you want to follow me on, um, Instagram or, um, yeah, Instagram probably is the best or you can, there's a Facebook page that you can like that is terrible, but, um, (laughs) that I don't have, I haven't even like looked at in like probably four years, but, I will be announcing some stuff soon about that. So, um, yeah. And then if you are in the business of licensing music or needing music licensed, I have a massive amount of music on soundstripe.com and as do my fellow composers who are all just immensely talented. They're just some of the most incredibly talented people I've ever worked with. So really cool stuff there. Dude, this was so good. All the links we'll have below. Aaron, thanks for taking the time out to talk. Uh, oh, honest thank conversation, you. and it was—it's always great. Yeah, anytime. It's a pleasure. Aaron is such an awesome human being, and we are going to have a clip of one of his new songs at the end of our episode that he's working on. He was so kind to share. I've been listening to it a bunch. It's so good. So we're going to just include a little snippet for you. If you're an artist and you feel like you've got a limited palette, you can only do like two things and you have this generic strumming pattern that you're trying to make work for all 20 songs, you need guidance, you need help, you need to know some steps to take, and that's why I created the Songwriting for Guitar Insiders group. Every month I give you a new skill building module. I've had Judy Stakey, who is the former senior creative VP at Warner Chapel, Michael Elsner for Master Music Licensing, F. Reed Shipman, who's a Grammy award-winning mixer. I bring in these experts to answer your questions. You get to hear insight, and this is an awesome group. All you gotta do is just head to songwritingforguitar.com, click insiders, and then you can join and get access to modules right away and see replays of past talks, and then when we're having our next one. If you like this podcast and the episodes we've been putting out, feel free to head on over to iTunes and give us a stellar review. This episode was edited and produced by the amazing Chris Fafalius. I'm Mike Myers. Until next time. Mm